This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. I think one of the best things that we can do is to be building more housing more densely in Tacoma. We have been lagging in building, and so one of the keys to transportation, mass transit, public transit, the key is density. And we we simply have to not have a world where somebody with low income cannot live in the city of Tacoma and has to be outside of where services are, where transportation will be a challenge. We need to have much deeper density so that the transit is capable of being everything we want it to be right now. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez, your host of Crossing Division. Once again, we are doing our special partnership with Downtown On The Go, where we uh, record the Downtown On The Go Forum. This last week's forum was moving into the future and focused on our aging population and transportation needs. It featured Councilmember Lillian Hunter, Catholic Community Services uh, Garrett Nyland, and Tool Designs Carol Kashadurian. The um, moderator was our lovely City of Tacoma moderator, Tanisha Jumper. It's an excellent discussion. Here's a couple of things you want to listen for. Listen for how Tacoma is going to become an AARP age-friendly city and some of the things that it needs to do to get that certification. Here's a clue. Everything that is good for an eight-year-old in the community is also good for an 80-year-old. They're gonna talk about walkability. They're gonna talk about what it means to be in a 20-minute neighborhood, transit gaps, parking and services and things like that. It's an excellent program, so give it a listen. Welcome to the second Downtown on the Go Forum of 2020. I firstly want to thank Tacoma Arts Live for being our series sponsor and for allowing us to use this great space. I also want to thank Channel 253 for being our media sponsor. They are creating recordings of each of these forums this year and digging deeper into these issues on their Crossing Division podcast hosted by Evelyn Lopez. And um, and this, those podcasts will be available sometime next week or in the coming days. And so, and this, the podcast recorded after this forum will feature some experts from Pierce Transit who are working on creating um, great transit connections for older adults and everyone here in Tacoma and Pierce County. And I'd like to give a reminder that these events are free, but they are not free to put on and that we rely greatly on our sponsors and from individual donations um, from folks like you to make these events happen. So please give another round of applause for uh, Tacoma Arts Live and Channel 253 for helping us make these possible. And we'll do our best to get your question answered towards the end of the discussion. And if you need any assistance in submitting questions, if you wouldn't mind raising your hands now, and then we can come up and um, help get you situated with whatever way works best for you. Um, for our 2020 forums, we're looking at the ways that Tacoma meets the needs of older adults and an aging population in the realms of housing, transportation, and public space. By the year 2030, there'll be more than 60, there'll be more people over the age of 65 than under the age of 18 in Pierce County. And the AARP measures a city's livability for older adults by how easily and safely older adults are able to get from one place to another. And it states that livable communities provide their residents with transportation options that connect people to social activities, economic opportunities, and medical care, and offer convenient, healthy, accessible, and low-cost alternatives to driving. Today's conversation will dig deeper into that and will be moderated by Tanisha Jumper, Director of Media and Communications at the City of Tacoma, Tanisha has a wealth of experience in health and human service management and community engagement. She leads important strategic planning work, including Tacoma 2025, internal and ex external facilitation and training, and development and enhancement of community partnerships. And I'll let her take that away. Thanks so much. Good afternoon. Um, let's introduce you to our panel. Hi, I'm. I'm Carol Ketchadorian, and I am a planner with a company called Tool Design. We are multimodal transportation planners that focus on walking and biking. Um, I am the practice lead for the older adult mobility practice area. Uh, as I say, because I am an older adult and I am active, 
Um, I'm also uh, a member of the Seattle Pedestrian Advisory Board and active in Seattle's Age-Friendly Task Force, working with the Transportation and Public Space Committee. And I just want to share with you something my father used to say to me. My father was in his mid-40s when he married, and I was the second of two children, so my father always seemed old to me when I was a child. And he used to say to me, I will never get to be like you, but you will get to be like me. And here I am. And so I am I'm channeling my father's spirit and trying to make life better for everybody, including those who are older. Thank you. Thanks. My name is Garrett Nyland. I work for Catholic Community Services. Mostly I work in the area of homelessness, um, but my agency does provide transportation services for our volunteer, used to be volunteer chore services, but, um, and I've also been involved in transportation in the city of Tacoma for quite a while. I'm currently on the city's transportation commission, and I've been involved with the Pierce County Coordinated Transportation Coalition, which is a group of transportation providers and government agencies that works really hard on what's called special needs transportation, which is sort of a bucket for people that um, have difficulty getting their transportation needs met. So it's people with disabilities, it's elderly, it's low income, and it's youth. And so these topics are things that are continually challenging and we have great ideas and put them in place. Um, and they still seldom meet a lot of the, the need that we hear from in our community. So happy to talk about areas we continue to be challenged on and things that we work on to make it better. Good afternoon, my name is Lillian Hunter and I'm your city council representative for District 6, which means that uh, that is the citywide, uh, one of three citywide positions there. And um, I have lived in Tacoma for 50 plus years. And so I have been young in Tacoma. I have been uh, adolescent. Uh, I have been middle-aged, or what, adult, young adult, old adult, middle-aged adult, and I plan to be an uh, active aging adult in the city of Tacoma. And in that role, I am the most uh, age-wise senior on the city council. And so it is, I, I think, part of my responsibility in that role uh, as your representative to make sure that we continue to promote and put at the forefront uh, what makes sense with regard to an aging population and how that plays out in Tacoma. And I'm really thrilled to be on this panel with uh, my esteemed uh, colleagues here and appreciate the invitation to be here today. So thank you. Great. And really thrilled that Tanisha Jumper is here as our <laughs> MC because uh, she does an outstanding job and we can only hope to keep up with her. So <laughs> go for it, Tanisha. Great. Well, thank you guys for being here. Um, so on Tuesday, the city of Tacoma received a, a certificate from AARP um, acknowledging us as an age-friendly um, community. And Councilmember Hunter, you were the, the impetus of that happening. So um, can you tell us what were you hoping to achieve by, by starting that process and by making us, uh, pushing us towards that declaration? All right, thank you, Tanisha. Uh, AARP is working in tandem with the World Health Organization on a global aging-friendly community policies. And with that, we it, it is not just a designation that is a nice to have. There are very tangible objectives to being an aging or in uh, attaining the aging-friendly community status. What we received on Tuesday was an acknowledgement and an acceptance from AARP that it is our intention to become a full-fledged aging-friendly community. So with that, again, there are certain markers that we have to meet. We have an action plan, and it will probably take us three to five years to get there. So why are we doing this? Why do I think that's important? So you guys stole a little bit of my thunder. Hallie stole some of my thunder coming in here. But let's look at the numbers. By 2030, that is just 10 years away, and we know how quickly 10 years can go. One-fifth of our population, 20%, will be over the age of 65. If you're not there already, you are heading that way rather quickly, we hope. <laughs> By 2035, which is just 15 years from now, it's a little bit hard to grasp, but um, 15 years goes by quickly too. For the first time in our country's history, as we're paying attention to uh, demographics, the number of adults older than the age of 65 
will exceed that of the number of children under the age of 18. So knowing that that is what's happening, not only in the United States, but across the world, the World Health Organization, with our being its representative here in the United States, is taking steps to be proactive and preparing for that. And what I like about this initiative is that it is proactive, it is in preparation, as opposed to many things that we do at the policy and governance level, it's a reaction to something. So we know that. So here, here is what the age-friendly community policies, or, or what it started at World Health Organization and down to ARP and now here in Tacoma. In an age-friendly community, policies, services, and structures are designed to support and enable older people to age actively, that is, to live in security, enjoy good health, and continue to participate fully in society. That's how I envision my golden years as I'm into them and, and can, uh, plan to be in them for some time. And that's also what I envision for my colleagues and my community. So that really is the impetus for uh, moving this forward. And with the um, AARP, there are eight domains of livability, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each of them, but I do want to read them to you to see if it you know, resonates with you. The first one is, um, here are the signs that we have for livability, and this is part of what we're doing with the aging-friendly community designation, that we have outdoor spaces and public spaces for people of all ages. Number two, transportation, brings us here today. Number three, housing. Number four, social participation. Five, respect and social inclusion. Seven, communications and information access. And number eight, community and health services. So if that resonates with you, one of the popular things we like to say is that if it's good for an eight-year-old, it's good for an 80-year-old. And in this process, as we move forward with intention, what we're doing is we're building capacity on initiatives that are already in place. It's not, we're not starting from scratch. We have many of, of in those eight domains in our 2025 plan and also with our agencies and social services network, many of that's already in place. But what we're doing is we're looking at it with intention to make sure that as we move forward with those initiatives, the needs of an aging community are at the forefront because we're going to have an aged community by 2035. The statistics show us that. Great. All right, so let's, let's jump into it. Um, walkability plays a big role in, in this, and everyone is a pedestrian at some point, whether you're parking and walking somewhere or you ride the bus and then walk. So at, um, what walkability challenge exists, especially for older adults, and what are some of the ways to improve um, the existing conditions? We're going to start down with Carol. Thank you. Uh, so I, I've given this uh, some thought, and I, I want to say that walkability, a community that's walkable, serves the mobility needs of everyone, including older adults. It can also be a thing in and of itself, a, a window into the community, a way to connect with the community, a way to connect with others. And I think there are three things that are important to be a walkable community and especially important to older adults. Uh, one is coherence. In other words, you need to be able to see a pedestrian network. You need to be able to, that includes signage, that includes crosswalks. Um, you have to know that that, that that network is there and to be able to use it. Um, walkability for older adults, for everyone, but particularly as we age, needs to be direct. Meandering sidewalks are really pretty, and I know they, they um, are aesthetically something that um, designers aim for, but it adds steps, it adds distance, and so directness is really important. Um, and that means uh, that leads to the third one, which is functional. Um, the pedestrian network and a walkable city needs to be functional. It needs to fit with the adjacent land use. One of my favorite examples is from Wichita, Kansas, when we were doing uh, walkabouts out of, the senior, of one of the senior centers there. If you're walking down the sidewalk, you need to get to the, the bank or to the um, pharmacy, and you have to walk through the parking lot entrance to get into the store because the direct access into the store is um, cut off by hedges. 
um, as opposed to maybe having a, a diagonal sidewalk from the public sidewalk into the front entrance. Um, so functionality is, is really important. Um, to make all that happen, I feel that there need to be things such as code enforcement. Um, get In the fall, get all the schmutz off the sidewalks. <laughs> I have fallen numerous times on acorns, cracked ribs, and um, so we talk about pedestrian safety, about not being hit by a motorist, but it's also about safety of the, the way the sidewalks are taken care of. Overhanging branches that you don't get hit in the head, you don't get bugs in your head. Um, though parking enforcement so that cars are not, motorists don't park in a driveway or um, blocking a crosswalk so that older adults can't use it. Um, that affects coherence, it affects directness, it affects, uh, affects functionality. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say for that. There's probably more as the conversation continues. Yeah. Are you next? I'm in line next. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's a lot of walkability depends on you know the infrastructure. And Tacoma has a, a legacy of not building adequate walking infrastructure. Right? We we see it with our missing sidewalks. We see it with uh, not having enough curb ramps and some kind of poor designs and. Um, and those are things that we can fix, and it just takes prioritization of funding, which the city's doing, right? We've got um, more money set aside for that type of work now than we probably have in the past five or ten years. And, and so that's really, that's really like, necessary, that you can trust that the sidewalk's going to be usable. And, and the maintenance thing is really important. Like The number one reason people with low vision and people that are blind end up in the emergency room is head injuries. <laughs> and the reason they have head injuries is because there's crap where they don't expect it. And whether it's tree branches or a built infrastructure that's not following um, you know, kind of building requirements, and, and like you say, the, I like that word schmutz. Yeah, there's lots of schmutz on the sidewalk. Schmutz, I did schmutz, so. Yeah, I know, right? That's, yeah. But it's really important for us to maintain it. And we do that not very well in the city of Tacoma either. We have a lot of unfit, unsafe sidewalks, and our city requires the homeowners to maintain the sidewalks in front of their property, the property owner, and that that, that oftentimes creates a situation where we, we don't have you know, the safe routes for us to travel. And you're going to wrap this all up with something beautiful, right? <laughs> Indeed I am. Thank you, Garrett. Uh, every time I meet with him, and when I learn something on here, but um, so uh, with this discussion of usable sidewalks, that makes sense, um, and also uh, the maintenance there, but we are a large city, and I want to just put into perspective that the needs of sidewalks, sidewalk repair, um, curbs and ramps are not lost on our uh, planning department and also our public works department. So um, with our streets funds initiative in 2019, we had uh, 493 total curb ramps constructed, uh, or excuse me, the total number of curb ramps constructed in 2019, 763. So that's a significant number. The streets initiative fund uh, constructed uh, 493. So. The work is out there, it's just not happening quickly enough. Um, we also um, constructed 85 disability parking spaces, and in 2019, the sidewalk maintenance program replaced 2,721 linear feet of damaged sidewalk. So the effort is there, it just needs to continue, and this is always a work in progress and always making sure that um, we are, are funding that and making that a priority as we work on our biennial budgets. Um, with regards to sidewalks being usable and homework, uh, homeowners maintenance, we also could do a little bit better job, and I think we're working on this, on communicating with homeowners what their responsibility is there. And it isn't that people are purposely ignoring that. I think it's unclear what the responsibility is, and so that might be something that we can take on as an initiative, just, just to keep our um, homeowners informed uh, there. The other piece to walkability and sidewalks and uh, crossing streets is, unfortunately, people aren't getting out of their cars. We still have to deal with traffic, and I, and 
we could have a, a completely, I'm going to take my glasses off for this one because I'm getting ready for this. We could have an entire session on, you know, cars and getting rid of cars and whatnot. Why, I, I often say, well, here's, let's deal with our reality right here, right now. So I walked over here from City Hall and I just had to cross the street in two different areas. I waited for the sign, you know, the, the you know, walk sign. In every single street that I crossed to get down here from the parking lot, there were cars in the crosswalk. While we acknowledge that cars are still part of our reality, we also have to start educating our drivers that when you stop your car, you don't stop it in the crosswalk because I can walk around the cars. If I was in a wheelchair working a walker, I wouldn't be able to cross the street. I would have to wait until the next light and hope that those drivers aren't filling it in. So, we all have responsibility in a walkable um, community, but let's just start looking at specific things where we can get some traction, and that would be number one, let's work with homeowners to help them understand what their uh, responsibility is, what resources are available to help them maintain those sidewalks, and let's also start working on an initiative to inform our drivers that, hey, the crosswalk is for pedestrians, not for you to impatiently wait for your ability <laughs> to turn right. Exactly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so, Garrett, um, Catholic Community Services is one of the organizations that provides transportation for people in Tacoma. What are some existing transit gaps that greatly, that greatly impact older adults and people with disabilities? Sure. Um, actually, determining transit gaps is one of the real challenges in the transportation industry. We, we often are unable to really collect the information we need well because um, a lot of the, I think older adults particularly, don't see themselves as sort of needing extra help sometimes. I think that they sort of couch their world just in a, a set of fewer things that they're able to do. And so um, a lot of times our ability to provide services is dependent on people asking for them and us getting information out. So just that caveat that a lot of times the gaps are hard to determine. Um, we see, so with older people, a lot of times they reduce their use of a single occupancy vehicle, right? So they're not going to drive as much, they're not going to drive at night, they're not going to drive in the rain. Um, and so that can be a real limiting factor in people visiting family or going to supermarkets. And so Catholic Community Services, like with volunteer chore services, where we do provide transportation and assistance with some chores, um, we have real limitations. And so... Um, we find people need to go shopping regularly, and we can provide shopping trips twice a month, which is an awful lot less than I go to the supermarket. And, um, and so those kind of needs to do sort of regular activities um, go unmet a lot of times without the transportation infrastructure that they need, right? They, as, as you use your car less, you have to rely on friends and family and public transportation more. And a lot of our seniors um, have fixed incomes. And so their ability to even have a car um, is limited. So they might not be eliminating driving because their vision is deteriorating, but they might be eliminating driving because of the cost, right? And taxis and other, and Uber and Lyft are all really efficient ways to get places, but again, they require money. And so it's like as we work our way sort of down the list of options available, I think that's where a lot of the gaps happen. And they have difficulty getting to a, an evening event at their church, or, or we have difficulty getting to um, a public meeting because the transit option that they need just isn't available. And I was actually, on the last question, I'm just going to, I'm going to ramble now. Um, <laughs> one, one thing that is really desirable is to sort of eliminate the need for transportation in some way. So as we as a city look at having sort of these urban hubs, places like uh, Fern Hill or the Proctor District, places where um, we can have the resources that people need right there, that's a real you know, boon to walkability in a way. And so some ways that we can sort of combat this unmet transportation need isn't having all the transportation need available in this sort of lightly densified city of ours, but increasing our density in certain places so that the medical services are within walking distance, like real walking distance, not the you know a one mile diameter or something like that that we think of, but they're actually achievable for somebody um, that has sort of the um, you know realistic need to get there, but maybe not the the physical capabilities to travel a long distance. 
Um, a few years ago, there was a there was a concept called twenty minute neighborhoods. To yep. your point about not a mile, and I and I think that's that's a concept that I want to make sure we don't lose track of because as we build these denser areas, um, and as we do our work, and older uh, people as they age have the inclination and the ability to remain physically active and walk or take transit, they can take advantage of those twenty minute neighborhoods and. And, um, and not have to travel as far. They'll have the mobility, but they'll have that functionality in their lives. Um, I was thinking the other day, you know, I don't drive that much because I don't go that far from where I live because right. I can walk or take the bus. Right. So. And that's, Anybody else? That is one of the goals of 2025. Is it's called Complete and Compact Communities, but it's built on that idea of 20-minute neighborhoods. And I think when, um, when Councilmember Hunter was saying that it's good for eight, it's good for 80, um, that also is really good for families. Like, there's like an idea of like designing community so that you can go to work, get off work, pick up something in the grocery store, pick up the pair of pants that your son forgot to tell you he needed for the concert that night. Never really happened. Totally hypothetical. Um, and then get to where you need to go is the same kind of community you want to live in if you're a an, an older person and you have to get to your doctor's appointment. You know, you just, those are all could be independent trips or it could be just like I walk I walk in where I live and I can get to those things. So I do think that's a really important part. Do you have nothing to that? So I think one of the things uh, I want to point back and go back to the um, AARP designation of an aging friendly community. Part of our, our assignment there is to make sure that the uh, individuals who are at the table having discussions about transportation needs and transportation gaps are representative of all age groups, including um, our aging group here. And I'll give you an example of that. I love the aspirational goals of complete and compact communities, 20 minute um, neighborhoods. But we also have to keep those aspirational goals in check with what our current reality is. And so we have to mitigate our current reality while we move towards that. And one example would be um, last year, I've told this story a number of times, um, I fell on the sidewalk, but I was chasing a dog. Was, you know. <laughs> and um, I broke my leg and hip and I broke badly and um, ended up having, uh, I've got three rods in my leg and I mean, you know, the whole nine yards. Lexi, you came to help take care of me. And I spent two months in a hospital bed in my living room. And I have great resources. I had friends, I had family and, and it worked and it wasn't fun, but it was so instructful for me to go from a fiercely independent person to a person who was dependent. and. I have siblings that live locally and, and all of that. So it was about as good as it could get. But I started to wonder, what if I was older or what if I lived more, I, I didn't have that network around me. And part of the realities of an aging community is that your network starts to fall off. Our friends are passing and the kids move away and whatnot. So I started to look online, trying to find out how, who would I call for transportation if I couldn't call my sister, I couldn't call Lexi and all that. And I struggled, I had a lot of time, you know, just sitting there with my iPad, to go through that. And again, going back to, we need to look at what we have in place and communicate that um, more clearly as a resource to um, individuals who find themselves in that need. It's not that we have to start reinventing or, or creating that. A lot of it already exists. We just haven't done a very good job of creating a clearinghouse uh, um, to make that known easily to people with regard. So when we look at transportation gaps, it's not only putting the actual systems in place with regard to bus and communities and all of that, it's also part of that communication piece. So how do we gather our resources and communicate those appropriately? Hi, I'm Melanie Denise Cunningham. And I'm Audrey Cunningham. And we're the host of the Channel 253 podcast, What Say You? This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by PeaceWorks United and the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation. We're here to remind you that the 2020 census is getting underway and that you, yes, you, should participate. That's right. I know people can get nervous when someone from the government shows up with the clipboard. But here's the truth. Participating in the census will help us get our fair share of representatives to Congress. It will help us get more federal funds to our community, improve 
our school districts, and many other things. And you don't have to be a voter. You don't have to be a citizen even. In terms of the census, you count. 10 questions, 10 minutes. Census Day is April 1st. Fill out that form. Thank you to PeaceWorks United and the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation for your sponsorship of Channel 253 and getting the word out about the 2020 Census. Um, I do think for the people who were here last month, um, when you think about how this butts up against the conversation we were having about where people are being forced to move and live, and they're having to make choices about affordability, which puts them farther outside of their network, and makes it harder for even those things like, well, I'm going to the grocery store, do you want to ride with me? That, that makes it harder. And so how these two things about the cost of housing and then the issues around walkability and transportation, how they create, uh, you know, amplify the issue as, as, we, as we think about how we get through these, um, these problems. So, um, Carol, um, what role does parking um, play in a city plan in, in a city plan for older adults. How much time do we have to talk about this topic? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have I have a lot of notes, but before the session, I thought let's talk a little bit about parking. We can talk about the type of parking, if it's surface parking and where it, or if it's structured parking, if it's surface parking, is it on the street, is it in a lot? We can talk about the design of parking. Is it parallel parking, such as out here? Is it pull-in parking, such as in a, in a garage or a parking lot? Is it back-end angle parking, which has benefits for pedestrians? Um, and I saw some of that on, on the way in. Uh, and, then, and then what's the cost of parking? Is it free? Is it a nominal cost? Or is it really uh, priced in order to meter the, the use of it, to get the high turnover so that people right. can, can use parking. Um, I'd like to talk about the functions of that parking can serve, particularly for older adults. Obviously, it can be a portion, um, contribute to an older adult's mobility, whether they are driving or they are a passenger in a vehicle, in a motor vehicle. A parking space is a great way to get to where you need to go. And if it's located close to where you need to go um, and you have to be close, then that parking can help, help that parking spot can help you with that. Um, the other functions that can serve um, are as a pedestrian. Uh, if you have parking along a really, a street that has a lot of motor vehicles that might be traveling at a high rate of speed, higher rate of speed, Parking serves as a buffer when you're a pedestrian. It helps to give you a sense of separation um, and security. Parking can, and feel more comfortable walking down that street. Parking can also help define a pedestrian, the pedestrian space. So if you have um, um, parking that is, um, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, um, Parking that, that is, is, is designed so that it is surrounds, not so close, but surrounds a crosswalk. It helps you know when cars are parked there. It's, that's part of the, that coherence issue. It helps you know that there's a pedestrian crossing there. Um, parking can also help to protect, protect pedestrian space um, in, that, in that crossing, because if you put parking in and you have a curb extension that defines that parking space, that's going to shorten the crossing distance, and it creates, um, it creates some um, protection for pedestrians. In parking lots, pedest uh, parking can do other things. You know, parking lots are multi... Do we have time to talk about parking lots? <laughs> Go ahead. Parking lots are really multimodal, multifunctional spaces. Um, and so if the parking lot is well-designed, uh, it can have pedestrian pathways and connections to neighborhoods. If you give up the number of parking spaces for pedestrian pathways, um, parking in parking lots can also, um, the, the existence of parking lots can also allow for pop-ups for in neighborhoods where it's maybe not quite as dense a development that you have farmer's markets or um, other types of pop-ups um, uh, at different times during the day. Um, parking lots and parking spaces can also be converted to um, um, it can also include stormwater management, with, which helps with the environment. There are also pleasant places um, to walk past and to visit. Um, 
And um, so parking can do a lot of different things for older adults. I think the key is for parking to be part of a more comprehensive system that provides mobility. Um, and it should not be parking. It's hard, it should be balanced. It shouldn't be parking versus sidewalks or parking versus transit, um, but a mix of things. Um, I'm really glad you said that about um, the parking lots and, and how we can really take best uh, advantage of it. So everything she said, um, parking <laughs> is, is not tantamount to the evil empire. It's a necessity of what our current reality is. And I want to go back to that aspirational goals versus our reality here. We, we have policies in place um, and good policies that have to do with mixed use centers that have to do with density and the idea, the aspirational goal is, is that we would have centers where all the services would be there um, for people who live close by. And what we're finding is that that's a little bit hit and miss as it's been deployed. And um, we have someone who's we have developers who are reading the code and taking advantage of this mixed use center and getting the um, tax abatements. You've heard about these, the eight year, the 12 year tax abatements, a little bit controversial. Well, the hope was is that this development would all come together and that there would be all of the services and everything uh, there and the development would make sense. Proctor would be an example of where that makes sense. McKinley Hill, where there's no grocery store, no bank, no services, it doesn't make sense that you would build a place with no parking because there's also not dependable bus transportation there. So we have to be, we have to use, exercise the skill of common sense when we look at how our aspirational goals are currently being deployed. Um, they're also, uh, with regard to this uh, aspirational goal of eliminating cars, which is a good, it, it is an aspirational goal that we should keep moving towards because we know that cars are responsible for, you know, a gazillion parts of our, our um, pollution. So in the Proctor District, where if it was going to work with regard to density, mixed use, all of that, it is there. You've got two uh, well-tended grocery stores, you have banks, you have the veterinarian, you have the library. It, it is all right there. Plus you have a very dependable um, transit system that runs through there on a regular basis. It's, as, it's a great model. It's as good as it gets. However, when those new developments that you're seeing there that have been built and are, are going to continue to be built were dropped in there, we added, I think, at least about 400 people with those units, if not more, with the idea that they would not use, you know, it would be a decrease in cars. Uh, Council Member Toms, in a uh, stroke of brilliance, did a public records request to Department of Licensing to find out how many cars were actually associated with those new developments. And our reality was is not only did people who moved in there not give, out their, give up their cars, most of them had two cars per address. So where does that parking go? It goes out into the community and then we have some issues with sight lines and whatnot. So we have some work to do with our aspirational goals of eliminating the use of cars throughout our communities, but we have to base that with the reality of people are not giving up their cars as quickly as we would like for them to do and parking becomes an issue. I'm the most optimistic pessimist that I know. I mean, you're like, yeah, here's the good news, but look. Right. <laughs> no, I think that's a, a really important, um, you know, point to be thinking about because we have to figure out how do you how do you get to both? Because I think it's a very different um, idea on like the younger end of the spectrum, right? Like I have I have two kids that are you know young adults. And they've both opted to get rid of their cars because that's the only way they can afford the, to live where they want to live. So they, they've had to make the choice to like, I can take public transportation because that saves me the car note, the car insurance, and the cost of parking. I have one that lives in Seattle. And so the, the cost of parking was going to be, per month, was going to be more than the car note. And so, you know, when you have both of those things happening at the same time, that's hard to rectify from the point of like a city government. How do you make a policy that suits both both groups, and, and so we have to, I think we he said, you know, you have to be a little bit um, pragmatic and a little bit meticulous about how you address those issues because, um, you know, in the cities that have done a good job of, of making it easier for people to get around, um, you don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. Did they, you know, did they build these big robust systems or did they 
convince people to get rid of their cars and then had the ridership to build. The, you know, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. So I think. Um, I didn't, I didn't talk about this one other benefit of, of parking for older adults um, and actually for everyone. Parking reserves space for a, a needed use in the future. So if you talk about aspirational goals, and, and I, I'm not sure how realistic a, a goal of eliminating cars is, maybe reducing the number of motor vehicles is good. But if you, if you work towards that and you have more people biking, or you have more people walking, or you increase your transit system, a parking space on the street can become a bus stop. It can become a little parklet. Mm -hmm. It can become a place for um, bicycles to park. A large parking lot where you have you improve your transit and people are, are now taking transit there, you can redevelop a portion of that parking lot for a mixed use facility. So, you know, parking can be a placeholder for a future need as time, yeah. things change. All right, so we're, now we're gonna get into the audience questions. Um, so, and we talked about this a little bit um, the other day when we were um, prepping for this meeting. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot it to you first, Carol. What is what is a city that you think of as being especially age-friendly, and why? What are some of the characteristics? Um, I, I actually think Seattle is age-friendly, even though the topography might suggest otherwise. Um, although I have talked with the folks there about the need for um, railings to go up some of those really steep hills, go up and down some of the really steep hills. We have a, a, a robust transit system. We have a, a pretty complete pedestrian network in terms of trails and sidewalks and crossings. Um, the Vision Zero uh, program in Seattle is, is, and other programs are constantly being um, assessed and um, needs for pedestrians are being addressed. Not everybody's happy with it, but, I, but there's movement in that direction. And I, I think that Tacoma, um, Councilmember Hunter, you said Tacoma passed a Vision Zero policy, so I think that's good. Um, I vacation every year in Key West, <laughs> which is an acquired taste, uh, <laughs> but it's highly, highly age-friendly, and you've been there too, yeah. Uh, we, we bike every place or we walk every place, and so um, it has to do with the size, the density. It's flat, and it's flat, yeah. I don't go to the beach, but um, that's great. Washington, D.C. is becoming more age-friendly. I do think it depends upon where you live. And so if you develop urban villages or have a density of land use and pay attention to mobility needs by all modes, then you can, um, you can be age friendly. So. All right. Um, our next question is, do you feel like transit or biking is marketed towards older adults? Why or why not? I think this is an interesting conversation I was mentioning to you guys that I feel like you know, my mom doesn't see that as an option for her. And so she lives in Portland and Portland's done a really good job of building like these bike roads. And she feels like she is being impeded upon. Like she feels like, and I am never gonna ride a bike. And I'm like, well, okay, but like, you know, they're doing their part to like make sure that your grandsons can breathe, you know? So they think it's like this um, uh, trade-off, but I don't, I don't think for her that it, that seems like that's something for someone else, not her and she feels like she's paying for it. So I think this is a really interesting concept. So. so interestingly, I am launching year three of the 50 plus cycling survey. I have a nationwide survey I do of people 50 years and older that cycle. Um, and I think that um, I'm learning a lot about what older cyclists need. So I think if we build the kinds of facilities and we market it to older adults, um, that, that that happens. In terms of transit, I will say transit is not specifically marketed for older adults. Uh, last year, um, <laughs> you want to answer that? Yeah. yeah, you can keep going. Okay, I'll just give you one example. Last year, last year we were doing some work for the city, the company was doing some work for the city of Philadelphia, and the woman that was on that project called me and said, Carol, can you give me examples of um, marketing materials, ads, and other marketing along a corridor where there is a desire to have older adults who are currently driving shift to transit? We, I couldn't find any examples of it. Mm -hmm. Columbus, Ohio, with their age-friendly program, is doing a promotional campaign. They're taking, they've taken photos of older adults, active older adults using transit, and they will begin to use it in the ads um, to market fixed route public transit. 
uh, to okay. older adults, but it's it's not fully baked yet in, across the country. You. Well, I was going to say locally. I mean, there's a real effort to educate people about how to use transit. And Tacoma particularly, transit is oftentimes not a part of a lot of adults' lives. Whereas in Seattle, um, you know, oftentimes it's, it's the most efficient means to get where you're going. In Tacoma, that's often not the case. So, like, there's um, the Bus Buddies program that's run through Pierce Transit. Um, and that's a, that's a program designed really to teach people with, like, hands-on experience, like with somebody riding the bus, and they do a lot of outreach to senior centers, to places where um, they expect a lot of folks um, who aren't using the bus would benefit from it. So there's there's a real, and I don't know that it's marketing materials nearly as much as um, education programs that are, are really uh, designed to get um, places. So they'll do like a They'll take the senior center and they'll do a, let's do a bus ride up to the Seattle Art Museum, right? And so somebody with Pierce Transit will um, comp the tickets basically and they'll do the local ride to the transit hub. They'll switch to the, to the you know, either the Sounder or maybe to one of the 590 series that goes to Seattle. And so it's all, it's all like, let's all do this together so we, we all are comfortable with how to, how to be successful. And so it isn't, you know, scary and unknown, but it's familiar. I, those are all grant-funded programs, and so they ebb and flow with the flow of funding that, like, Pierce Transit or other agencies are able to secure. Um, I, I saw on the news the other day, um, Uber is starting to do a phone line so that if you don't have a smartphone or if you're, you know, not sure how to use Uber, they'll now have a, a line where you can call, like, almost like a taxi, but you would still get the same service at the same cost for people who have not kind of been locked out of that too. I mean, it's not a perfect solution, but it is better than some of the shuttle services where you have to wait a couple hours before you can get picked up or dropped off and all of that, so. Um. Just offer my two cents yeah. here. Um, um, the question was, is it marketed to, Could yeah, you repeat it, it again? Is, um, um, do you feel like transit or biking is marketed towards older adults? Why or why not? So. When we talk about older adults, and I'll just speak for myself and my cohort, we have a really, uh, I graduated from Mount Tahoma High School, go T-Birds. We have a really active Mount Tahoma oldies uh, group, and it's great, it's fun. And we are a group that re reflect, and I, I think what's, I don't think it's marketed, and here's one of the examples of that. We have a mindset. We were a generation, and, and it's reflected in this audience too, that when you got your driver's license in your first car, that was a significant life experience, and it represented your maturity, it represented independence, and it represented a little bit, hey, you know, social status, and I have my own car. And for many of us, giving up those cars to go either to transit or to biking is something that is capitulation. It's like, oh, this is a sad story. You know, Johnny had to give up his car. You know, it was awful. It was such, so sad. So in, in that, I, I think we could do more marketing, and, and Garrett just gave an example of give them the experience to learn how wonderful public transit can be. And before I retired, or semi-retired, I worked in Seattle, and I learned that I could take the 586 drive, get to the Tacoma Dome Station, get on a bus, and somebody else did all that for me. I could read, I could work, I could snooze, I could gossip. It was, I, we had a community on that bus, and I loved it, and I wish we could learn more about that. Um, also, to your point about uh, Uber and Lyft, I took my first Lyft um, last night. <laughs> so exciting! I know I feel so grown up. I've evolved, and um, but to do it, I was invited to go to Seattle to to present at a function, and I was really, you know, gee, that's nice. And then I said, but there's no way. I'm driving to Seattle. It's just not going to happen. Thank you very much. Let me know how the function went. And they called me back and they said, we've arranged for a lift for you to, to be, you know, I mean, I know. I felt like I'd really, <laughs> and it was lovely. Oh, the driver was so professional and engaging and he knew his way around Seattle. I mean, it was, it, it was terrific. And so with that marketing, offer some experiences so that we can start to change that mindset. And in the absence of those experiences and that type of marketing, we will hold on to that that car and is a symbol of our independence, our maturity, and it's a, it's a status symbol for us. Yeah. I was just going to jump in really quick. So my my father in law lives with us, and uh, he's seventy seven now, and really needs to stop driving. And um, 
And I know. Look, because because he's got some significant visual degradation. So it's not because he's older. It's because we're really thankful that his his new car has like the automatic braking type stuff. Like if there's something in the way. Um, but we but we ran the numbers, and for him to do like a year's worth of trips using Uber versus for him to do a year's worth of trips with his own car, with all of the costs associated with it, it was pretty much uh, it was pretty much an even you know. What do you call it? There's some phrase there, like a watch, a watch. It was exact. It was a watch, and but it's but for him, it very much feels like uh, you know him losing his independence, like you were talking about, and it's and he walks a lot of places, and it's not that right. He's got the same independence. It's just sort of a shift, and and he just has to get comfortable doing it enough. Um, I think for him to be like, yeah, I'm all done with this car, or not. Right. <laughs> So, so my husband is 10 years older than me. I'm 67, and um, he has, he's a diabetic and has only 20% of the vision in his right eye because he's had glaucoma for years. He does have one of the new, he bought a Forester a year ago because of all of the eyesight technology that, that beeps at him. Um, but I, don't, I drive at night <laughs> and in the rain um, and in, in places where I'm concerned that his lack of vision in that right eye is really going mm -hmm. to be... And one of these days, we're going to have that conversation. Not yeah. today, but one of those <laughs> days. All right. Um, this one is for you, Councilmember Hunter. Um, is there political will in Tacoma to build 20-minute neighborhoods? Who is championing the zoning, funding, et cetera, that would make that happen? Um, and is senior housing a part of that plan? Yes, all of us <laughs> and the community. <laughs> so. So we, we have something in Tacoma called a comprehensive plan. And, some, and it's interesting, to, when I got on the council, I certainly had some life experience and, and background and some interest that I believe qualified me for that position. And thank you to the voters who, who agreed with that. And it was like going into another master's program. You go into a master's program knowing some things, and then you learn for about two years on how you get caught up. And one of the, um, our, our go-tos is the comprehensive uh, plan, and you see my hand doing this right, because it's, it's the comprehensive plan is about this big, and I can barely lift it by myself. It, and it's and it's it's revered, you know, um, right. <laughs> in there. So, and I know that plan was developed with good intention, whatnot. And there's good stuff in there, and this is where our aspirational goals and the things that you just asked about are included in that. Yeah. So the. Along with that, so we, we have that huge plan. Then you have to, you know, back it down a little bit. You can't do, and I think it was Councilmember McCarthy said at our retreat, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. So we spent um, two Fridays ago, thanks to Tanisha's leadership, we were at UPS for a full day talking about our priorities as a council within that established plan. And, and you'll see some information coming out of that. But certainly housing and transportation and safety are at the forefront of that. And my role, of course, will be to continue just to be the gentle pressure to making sure that the needs of an aging community are um, at the forefront of those plans. And, and my uh, urging and promotion of that will be gentle, but it will be relentless. You can trust me on that. So I think with regard to who's championing that, um, we all are, but I, I think it's a good opportunity to just call out our Vision Zero, and uh, Carol uh, alluded to this. On Tuesday evening, we, plan we passed a resolution um, that was entitled Vision Zero. And what it has to do, it, uh, I want to thank um, Councilmember Chris Beal, who's talked about this uh, for some time, and also our newly minted Councilmember Christina Walker, who's here in a different role, for really expediting this and putting forth a really well-articulated plan. To expresses the city intent to eliminate traffic fatalities and severe injuries uh, of pedestrians um, in the city by 2035, where most of us will be over the age of 65, and directs the city manager to take actions. And, and there's a list of actions here that I won't go through there. But we have advocacy there, that, that's in pedestrian safety. And it's um, uh, great work there. And thank you, Christina, for your leadership in making that happen. I'm championing the aging piece. We have uh, individuals on the council that are championing the housing piece. But we all work collaboratively 
uh, to move those initiatives forward. So I can't say it's any one person, but I will tell you, I think your city is well represented by a smart, uh, well-intended and collaborative council that I'm really proud to be a part of and I appreciate your uh, support uh, in putting me there. Thank you. Yeah. So I've got one last question. Um, so we've talked a lot about people who kind of opt out of driving or opt out of, um, you know, can make choices for themselves. Um, for one, for the last kind of wrap up, can, can we speak, talk about the low income older adults that don't have the option to even have a car? That's not, that's not an option for them. Um, moving closer into city is not an Like what, what about the people who their circumstances don't allow them to have the same kind of options? What do, what do we do for them or what do we need to be thinking about in order to support them as they age? Um, well, I think one of the best things that we can do is to be building more housing more densely in Tacoma. We have been lagging in building, and so one of the keys to transportation, mass transit, public transit, the key is density. And we, we simply have to not have a world where somebody with low income cannot live in the city of Tacoma and has to be outside of where services are, where transportation will be a challenge. We need to have much deeper density so that the transit is capable of being everything we want it to be right now. I have um, several times heard a man named Charles Brown that works at Rutgers, and he speaks about this issue frequently and very passionately. And I think in communities where people have lower household incomes and can't afford cars, we, we need to act with a moral compass that says that we treat those communities with the highest level of dignity. Make sure the sidewalks are in good repair, make sure it's clean, make sure there are trees, make sure it's a, a, a beautiful place, functional place, there's good bus service. Um, if people can't afford a car and they're dependent on transit, make sure that transit is there and is functional. Make sure the sidewalks work, make sure there are bike like facilities so that they can have the mobility and the quality of life and the kind of like the ADLs, the activities of daily life that they need. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to all the other things, affordable housing. Yeah. yeah. Right. My little soapbox. All right. I'm going to take it home for us. One quick. Okay. Yeah. So um, let me just, uh, you know, throw shade on the party here with our aspirational goals versus our reality. So when we look at low income and, and the access to transit and whatnot, one of the things that was really a reality check for me is when we look at um, how we do our planning and parking. So I'll use University of Washington Tacoma as an example. The university, to its credit, started to enroll lower income students, or students from lower income households to um, have access to higher education. It was, and it's great on, on many levels. What they were surprised to find out is that the students that they enrolled from lower income couldn't afford to live close to the University of Washington Tacoma because it's too expensive here. So they're living in outlying areas and they need those cars. We don't have a transportation system that brings them to the university that's dependable. Add to that that many of them are working in a gig economy. They're working one job or two jobs. They gotta get from point A to point B and then they gotta get to school and then they gotta go pick up a kid at daycare and they've gotta do all of that. They're not even close. We're not even close to having a um, transportation infrastructure system that addresses that. So. It also is a thing of economics, of making sure that people are at a young age getting their high school diplomas, getting into training that gives them a job that's a livable wage where they go to one job, not in multiple jobs, and near that job or on the way to that job, they have the daycare, they have the grocery store, and they um, um, have all of the amenities for the daily TDA, whatever that is. But <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it's uh, really, uh, for asking lower income people who do have their cars to give up those cars is just not uh, practical at this time. So I think that's always important when we talk about parking mm -hmm. and why it's important to have parking around um, our higher education uh, our institutions. And on that note, I want to give a shout out to Bates Technical College. If you've driven on 11th and Yakima and you see the new center that they're building in there, it's going to be a medical uh, 
Careers Training Center. Within that, as they did their design, they made sure that they had something, I think it's almost 200 parking places in understanding that their students who are getting themselves to a preferred future need that parking um, while they're making those transitions. So a little plug for parking and Bates there's conclusion. I used to be a trustee, so I've just full disclosure there. So thank you. Um, well, thank you. We did not get to all the questions, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the ones that I didn't get to answer to to Evelyn and see if we can maybe get them answered in the in the podcast. But I just wanted to thank everybody for coming, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And I think Callie's coming up to wrap up. So thank you for spending another Friday with us. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. The Crossing Division podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Founders B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.